Well, this afternoon, we want to have a look at this very important subject uh, that I have entitled, Solving the Mystery of Death. I want to welcome those who are watching online, those who are watching via DVD. May God bless you as we journey through this all-important subject together. Solving the Mystery of Death. They say there are two certainties in life, death and taxes. Well, the truth is, you can avoid paying tax. And some have gone to great lengths in order to avoid paying tax. Some of you are nodding your head. You have heard of some cases. However, no one can dodge death. You can fail to pay your taxes, but not death. That is something common to, to humanity ever since the beginning of time. So the question is, what happens to a person when they die? That's our question for this afternoon. I want to begin by sharing with you a story. I'm not sure if this really happened or not, but it certainly illustrates the point. A little young fella um, coming home from school and he walks past the cemetery and as he's looking at the tombstones, he happens to, to read an epitaph on one of the tombstones. And you're wondering what was on that epitaph? Notice these are the words. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, you soon will be. So prepare yourself to follow me, is what this little boy read on the tombstone. And he thought about that for a moment, and he thought and pondered, and he took out a crayon out of his pocket, and he wrote these words underneath. He wrote, to follow you, I'm not content until I know just where you went. <laughs> so the question is, what happens when we breathe our last, where does a person go when they breathe their last? You may have been by the bedside of a loved one, a family member or a friend who has indeed breathed their last. And so the question is, what happens next? That's the question we want to look at this afternoon. Well, there are many that believe that you either go to one of two places. The soul, the spirit goes one of two places at death either goes to heaven or goes to hell. How many of you are familiar with that? That's a, a common understanding amongst not just Christians, but all of the world religions by and large. Uh, there is an intermediate place that many Christians, including um, Roman Catholics, um, believe in, and that place is called what? Purgatory. Now, what is purgatory? Purgatory is this intermediate place where you go, where your, where your soul is refined so that it can inhabit the heavenly courts above, so that you will be good enough, I guess, if you want to call it that, um, to be a resident of heaven. It's not just Christians, but there are many religions that believe in this intermediate state. Then there are those that believe in reincarnation. Um, the majority of the Indian religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, um, the two major religions believe in reincarnation where you continue on as, as a different being or, or as an animal, but life goes on just in a different form. Then there are those that believe that you can communicate with your dead loved ones. Um, this is very popular today, especially, especially in Western circles. But as I have traveled the world, I have discovered it's not just in Western circles, it's, it's throughout the world. Um, this belief that you can communicate um, with your dead loved ones through spirit mediums and so on and so forth. 
In April of 2005, so just over 10 years ago, you'll remember uh, well that we had the funeral of Pope John Paul II, this beloved Pope that passed away after serving uh, the Church of Rome for over two decades as their bishop. These were the front page headlines of our newspapers here in Australia. This was from the Sun Herald shortly after his death. His Holiness Pope John Paul II, Christ is opening the door to the Pope. He is already seeing and touching the Lord. John Paul II now rests in God's hands and unites the world in prayer, hope and thanks. That was one front page headline of our own newspaper here in Australia. Here was another one from the Daily Telegraph. The next day, he changed the world, death of the Pope, a champion of human freedom, called home to God. So when people read these front page headlines, they, they automatically assume or they believe uh, that that belief is further entrenched that when you die, if you're a good person, you indeed go to heaven. And if you're not such a good person, well, you go to the place where nobody really wants to go. So that's what we have today in popular Western culture, certainly on the front pages of our newspapers here in Australia. I don't know if this um, insert in the Sunday Telegraph still comes out, body and soul. Does it still come out? Um, this, this insert, well, it still does come out. That was back in 2010 um, when I picked that one up out of the Sunday Telegraph. And this is a fascinating title, Body and Soul. Basically, the message is this. And this is what most people today believe in right around the world, throughout all the various religions, that human beings are composed of two main elements. How many elements? Two main elements. They're composed of the body, what you see here, the body, what you can feel, what you can, what, what you can see. And then there is the other element, the soul. And the soul is which you can't see, and the soul is that which lives on forever and ever, body and soul. And so this, um, this insert brings that point out that most people today believe in. So the question is, does it really matter what you believe? There are people that, that say, look, it doesn't really matter what you believe. When you die, you die. Whether you live on, whether you don't, it really doesn't make a big difference. It's what's the big deal? You know, let's not, let's not make a big deal about something that we don't actually have any control over. And it's true. We do not have any control over whether we're going to die or not. Isn't that true? Even when you get to 96, Helen, soon... I mean, we don't know how soon. We're praying in 10 years, 20 years' time. Um, but the, the reality is that it's inevitable. So a lot of people don't even want to talk about it, don't even want to think about it, and don't even think it's a question that needs to be explored. But let me share with you the truth is that it does matter. For what you believe, what you believe about death and what happens when a person dies has a profound impact on what happens to you in the end times in particular. And as we have discovered during this seminar series, we are living at the end of time. Isn't that right? Absolutely. We've, we've looked at what Jesus said about the, the times that you and I find ourselves in. And Jesus predicted 2,000 years ago what we are today experiencing on an everyday basis. So we know we're living at the very end of time. How soon before the coming of Jesus, we don't know. That's not for us to know. But we know that we're living very near, even at the doors, as Jesus put it. So we need to know the truth because what you and I believe will impact, will impact us possibly for all eternity. 
Now that is very important, extremely important. So what really happens at death? We want to find out, not from the front pages of the Daily Telegraph, or not from the, the insert in the Daily Telegraph, Body and Soul, not from anyone or anything. We want to find out from where? From God's Word. We want to find out from God's Word. You see, Jesus made a wonderful promise. He made a wonderful promise in John chapter 8 and verses 31 and 32 where he said, If you abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we need to know the truth and as we abide in God's word this afternoon, I believe by God's grace, we will come to an understanding of what God's truth is on this subject. Will we, will we answer absolutely every question? Absolutely not. It's impossible in the space of 45 to 50 minutes to answer every important question on this subject. But we will, by God's grace and through His Word, seek to gain an understanding of the key principles uh, regarding this all-important topic so that you and I can walk away from this meeting knowing the truth, the fundamental truths on this all-important subject. So, we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to bless our time together and then we're going to dig right into what God has to say on this subject. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask and pray that you will guide us and that you will lead us as we open your word. Father, there is a lot of confusion as we're all aware on this topic. Some believe this, others believe that. Uh, most people are not sure. And Father, we need to know the truth and we believe that your word does contain the truth about all things that are important as far as our eternity is concerned and preparing us for eternity. So as we open your word, we pray that you'll open our hearts and our minds, for we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen and amen. Well, for the answer, we need to go once again to the book of Genesis. Have you noticed how many times we've been gone, we have gone to the book of Genesis in order to find out the truth about a certain uh, important topic? Well, this afternoon will be no different. We're going to go to the book of Genesis. And we're going to discover how God created Adam. At the very beginning, this is what the Bible says. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust and of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Notice, God used two elements to create the first person on the planet, that being Adam. God used dust and breath. God used what? dust and breath, and God created a human being. So here we have it, as easy as one plus one. The elements of earth plus breath equal a living being or a living soul or a living person. So what happens at death? What happens at death, as we'll discover, is the exact opposite to what happened at the very beginning when God created the first human being. Notice what the Bible says. In Psalm chapter 104, verse 29, you hide your face, they are troubled. You take away their what? Their breath, and they do what? They die and return to their what? To their dust. So at death, as I pointed out, the very opposite takes place to how God created life. The dust goes back into the ground, and the breath that God gives to every single person goes back to God who alone owns that breath in, in, in an ultimate sense. That's why when you're at a funeral, you'll often hear 
the priest or the, or the preacher uh, use the words ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And that's where it comes from. It comes from Scripture. Now, you may be thinking, Danny, I understand what that is saying, but I have come across some Scriptures that don't use the word breath. They use a very different word. I have come across those Scriptures too. So let's go to that Scripture. It, here is one in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7. It says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was. That's what we've just read. And the what? Spirit will return to God who gave it. You're saying, well, there you go, Danny. It says the spirit, and a lot of people equate spirit with the word soul. And we're going to get to that as we go along. And the spirit goes back to God who gave it. Now, people will often believe and think that the spirit is referring to this soul that is immortal, this soul that is separate from the body, as we looked earlier, that, that insert in the Daily Telegraph, that lifestyle magazine insert was called what? Body and soul. Okay, so that's what people think of when they, when they read the word spirit. They think of this entity that you can't feel, you can't touch, but it's real. And, and it lives on and on and on. That's the, the spirit or the soul. Let's take a look at this word spirit. The, the word spirit in the original, in the Hebrew, that the Old Testament is written, that word is ruach. What's that word? Ruach. And the word simply means breath or wind. That's what it means. It means breath or wind. So, and the breath or the wind will return to God who gave it. Does that equal what we just read in the book of Psalms? Absolutely. Is this the reverse to what God did at the very beginning? Absolutely. It's interesting when we put all the scriptures together. And on any given topic, we must do a couple of very important things. First of all, we must look at all of the scriptures on a given topic, not just pick out one or two, because we can get a very wrong indication of what the truth is by simply looking at one or two verses or part of a verse here and there. So we need to look at all of Scripture on a given topic from Genesis to Revelation, and then we also need to look at that Scripture in its context. We need to take a look at what the words mean um, in order to understand what the truth is. Here is another word. James chapter 2, verse 26. Here, here is a, a scripture from the New Testament. For as the body without the what? The spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now that word there, spirit, I looked it up in the original and in the Greek, uh, the language of the New Testament. The word is pneuma. What's that word? Pneuma, which simply means breath, air, or breeze. Pneuma. That's what that word means. So, for as the body without the what? Breath is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Now, it's interesting, that word pneuma. In the English, uh, we get the word pneumonia. What's pneumonia? It's a disease that affects what part of our body? Our lungs. Now, what are your lungs? Your lungs are your breathing apparatus. Isn't that right? So, once again, associated with breath. Those of you who use tools, men and women, <laughs> you've, you've, you've possibly heard of pneumatic tools. Have you heard of pneumatic tools? What are pneumatic tools? Tools that are powered by what? 
by compressed air. Once again, we get that same term from there. So that's simply what it means. It means breath, wind, or air. The Bible uses the word soul 1,600 times, that is in the King James Version, and never once does it use the words immortal soul. You'll never find that in the Bible. Yet people believe that today. In Christianity, in all the world religions, they believe that you, each and every person is born with an immortal soul. You know what the word immortal means? It means cannot die. To be mortal means that you can die. To be immortal is the opposite to that. Now let's explore this a little more. The Bible tells us that only God is immortal. As I pointed out, mortal means subject to death. Immortal means imperishable or not subject to death. The Bible never uses the terms immortal soul or immortality of the soul. Never, ever does the Bible use this term. The Bible tells us that there is only one who is immortal. And notice what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. The Apostle Paul writes, He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who are? Alone is immortal, dwelling in unapproachable light. So the Bible very clearly tells us that God alone is innately immortal. And you know what it means to be innately immortal? That means it is who you are. As human beings, in fact, the rest of the universe, every created being in the universe, that includes us, that includes the angels, they are not immortal by nature. Okay, that is not what they are composed of. They receive immortality by God, who alone, as the Bible says, is immortal. So are we all clear on that so far? Very, very important to understand what the Bible teaches, that God alone is immortal. There is no such thing in the Bible as an immortal soul. Only God is immortal, according to Scripture. So the question is, the million-dollar question that, that needs to be answered, begs to be answered, is this. How did the teaching of the immortal soul come into the Christian church? Well, as I've pointed out over and over again, this teaching has swept through all the major world religions, and Christianity is certainly not exempt. So how did this teaching come into the Christian church? It came from pagan Greek philosophy that taught that the soul is immortal. Uh, you have heard, I'm sure, of Plato. Everyone's heard of, of, of the famous uh, philosopher Plato, the Greek philosopher. And he wrote these words. The soul of man is immortal and imperishable. So, this teaching came into the Christian church through the pagan Greeks. Now, when did that happen? Uh, my good friend, uh, Pastor Neil, will address that in a lot more detail. But, uh, but especially during the time of Constantine, Emperor Constantine the Great. How many of you have heard of Constantine the Great? He was the first Roman emperor um, to, to become a Christian. He professed Christianity. He became the first Roman emperor to, became, to become a Christian. And basically, under his rule, under his reign, Christianity became popular throughout the entire Roman Empire. In fact, the Roman Empire was Christianized, as, as some have put it. Um, and so what took place was the pagans, they came into the Christian church en masse. Because in order to have a good job um, in, the, in, in the government, 
you needed to become a Christian. So they came into the Christian church en masse. Churches became popular. Um, and, so, and so Christianity was influenced by paganism. And the pagans, they brought in this belief of the immortality of the soul. Now that's just a very short version of what took place and how it got into the Christian church. But the question is, from where did the Greeks, the pagans, get their belief that when you die, your soul lives on forever and ever, and that your soul is immortal and imperishable, as Plato put it? Where on earth did the Greeks get it from? Who did they borrow this idea from? Well, the truth is, this idea came from the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden where a serpent some 6,000 years ago preached the very first sermon to the very first audience, the very first human audience who was Eve. And notice what the serpent said to Eve. These are the words recorded in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will what? Not surely die. What did God very clearly articulate to Adam and Eve? If they were to eat, the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God said you will what? Surely die. The serpent comes along, and we know who the serpent is. Who's the serpent? It's the devil and Satan. Absolutely. That's what the Bible teaches in Revelation 12. The serpent comes along and says, no, if you eat from this fruit, you'll become just like who? God. That's what it says. You will become just like God, who, according to Scripture, we have discovered, alone is immortal. And so the devil said to Eve, no, you will not surely die. You cannot die. You have an immortal soul. The very first lie was preached in the garden, and the very first sermon was sadly received by Eve. And sadly, it's been passed on, this teaching, of the immortality of the soul has been passed on from Eve all the way through to our day. So that's where it came from, if you were wondering. Well, when and how do we get immortality? What does the Bible teach on this subject? When and how do we get immortality? Notice what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51. The Apostle Paul writes, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last what? Trumpet. When's that? That's when Jesus comes. That's when Jesus comes. Let's keep reading. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Notice, he goes on. For this corruptible must put on what? Incorruption. And this what? Mortal must put on immortality. When will we receive the gift of immortality? And don't ever forget, it's a gift. It's not something that we deserve or something that will be given to us for the rest of our lives, for the rest of eternity, it's a gift that we will receive month by month according to Scripture. Let's take a look at Revelation 21 and 22 where it speaks of the tree of life and us partaking of the tree of life each and every month. We will put on immortality at the second coming of Jesus. This mortal will put on immortality as a gift at the second coming of Jesus. So that's when we receive it, when Jesus comes. Very, very important to understand that you and I are mortal. We are what? We are mortal. We don't have an immortal soul. That is given to us as a gift by God when Jesus comes according to Scripture. 
Well, the question now that we need to ask and answer from the Bible is, where are those who have died? Where are they now? Those that have passed away. We've all got friends, family members that have passed away. Where are they now? If, if, if they're not in heaven, if the soul is not in heaven, then where are they? Does the Bible tell us? Absolutely. For the answer, we're going to go to the story of Jesus. We're going to go to the story of Jesus found there in John chapter 11. Uh, Jesus, as many of you will probably know, um, had three very close friends. Three very close friends that he would love to visit and spend time with. Two sisters and a brother. Can anyone guess who they were? Mary, Martha and their brother, Lazarus. Jesus loved to hang out at their home. They were just so friendly. Martha was so hospitable. Mary was just, she was just in love with, 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 with the character of Jesus, with the message of Jesus. And so Jesus loved to hang out there at their home. Well, on one particular occasion, the Bible tells us that Lazarus got sick. Very, very, very sick. He went to hospital and they couldn't do anything for him. Sent him back home and said, there's not much we can do for you. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, my friend. Not much we can do for you. So... Mary and Martha decided to send um, a couple of servants to Jesus to let him know that the friend that he loved so much was very sick if he could come immediately. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus didn't come immediately. In fact, the Bible tells us that he waited two days. How many days? Two days he waited before he decided to go. And then he told his disciples, it's time to go. Notice what we read in John chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus said to his disciples, these are the words of Jesus, our friend Lazarus, what? Sleeps. But I go that I may, what? Wake him up. Our friend Lazarus, he is only asleep. I am going now to wake him up. Well, if Jesus said that to you, and if you were one of the disciples, you probably would have responded with these words that we find next. In verse 12, then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will what? Get well. We all know full well that if someone's not well, if they can simply get some good sleep, guess what? It's going to help. Isn't that right? Absolutely. I probably need a lot of that. <laughs> Maybe that'll really help me. And notice what Jesus says next, because he, he picked up that the disciples completely misunderstood what he meant when he said, our friend Lazarus, what? Sleeps. They misunderstood what he meant. So here he now plainly tells them. Then Jesus said to them, plainly, Lazarus is what? Dead. Dead. As far as Jesus was concerned, as far as who was concerned? Jesus was concerned. Is Jesus an authority on Bible truth? Absolutely. He is the authority on Bible truth. The Bible says that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the ultimate authority on what is true and what is not. As far as Jesus was concerned, he made it very plain as the scriptures teach that death is nothing more and nothing less than asleep. That's what death is, asleep. Now, Martha, when she met Jesus, when he finally arrived, four days after her brother had died, she had said to him, Lord, if only you were here, if only you were here in time, my brother Lazarus would not have died. 
And then notice what took place next. We have the conversation as it's recorded by John, one of the disciples of Jesus. Jesus said to her, your brother will what? rise again. Okay, your brother will rise again. Notice what Martha responds. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the what? In the resurrection at the what? Last day. As far as Martha was concerned, she was crystal clear on when she would see her brother again. She would not see her brother when she died and she would be reunited with him in heaven. She was very clear on what the Bible taught. She knew and understood that she would indeed see her brother again, not when she died, but she would see her brother again at the resurrection when Jesus comes in all his glory to give us the gift of what? Immortality, as we have just read. And it's when? At the last day. A reference to the second coming of Jesus. The resurrection of Lazarus is the proof that Jesus will raise our believing loved ones too. Isn't that good news? That is wonderful news. That is wonderful news. The Apostle Paul speaks of this also. Notice the language that he uses in reference to those that have passed away, those that have gone to their rest in the arms, in the loving arms of Jesus. Those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus. Notice what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen what? Asleep. There is that same language that is used. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are what? Asleep. He's very clearly speaking here of the coming of the Lord, isn't it? You don't need to read between the lines. You don't need to wonder um, what on earth is the Apostle Paul speaking of. It's very clear as the noonday sun. He goes on. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will do what? They'll rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Very, very clear from Scripture. The Bible teaches that those that have passed away, those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus, they are today simply resting. What are they doing? They are resting in a peaceful sleep. I just love that the Bible uses that language. I thank God that He has that he has given us this language to assure us that when we do pass away, when our loved ones pass away, there'll be no pain, there'll be no suffering, there'll be no consciousness, there'll simply be peaceful sleep, a deep peaceful sleep. How deep? Well, I don't know because I haven't been there. <laughs> but I guess it's probably similar. I have been under. Um, I had an operation here and I was put under by an anaesthetist, and it was like a very heavy sleep. Anyone here been put under? Okay. Uh, do you remember how heavy it was, wasn't it? It was heavy. Remember waking up? Waking up, and you're like, where on earth am I? It was such a heavy sleep. Did you dream? No, there's no dreaming when you go under. And, 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 and I figure that death, the sleep of death, must be something similar to being put under by an anaesthetic. 
um, uh, before an operation, something that's just deep and peaceful and, um, and quiet. In fact, yeah, so the Bible speaks of death as a sleep. The Bible teaches that death is like a sleep that lasts until Christ's second coming. Bible writers declare death asleep more than 50 times. So it's all the way through Scripture. We've only looked at a couple of examples this afternoon because we don't have time for more. But death as a sleep is all the way through the Bible. And for me, that is very comforting. Very, very comforting. You may be thinking, but Danny, that's not very comforting for me. I, I believed and was taught uh, that my loved one or my friend um, is now in heaven and, and, is, and is awaiting my arrival. That's not very comforting to me at all. You think about that loved one if they were in heaven and they could see here on this earth all the pain and all the suffering that you're going through or that others are going through, how would that make them feel? I don't think that would make them feel very good at all. But the most important thing is that's not what the Bible teaches. God is here to assure us of what he teaches. Notice what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 5. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know what? Nothing. The dead know nothing. Well, before we get to this question here, what did God say about communicating with the supposed dead? A very important question. Uh, there, are, there are a number of um, uh, questions that come along when we talk about this. One of them is, one of them is the, the thief on the cross. Uh, where Jesus said to him, I'm telling you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. Um, a lot of people say, well, didn't Jesus say that you were going to be with me in paradise today? Well, Jesus never actually said that to him. Yes, he did say those words, but not with that intent. Well, we don't have time to get into it, but it is in the handout. And in the handout, there's a number of other scriptures that we haven't had time to deal with. But in the original language um, that the New Testament was written, including the Old Testament, there was no grammar. There were no full stops. There were no commas. It was just one word after the other. And so the editors came in later and put in commas and so on and so forth. And depending on where you put the comma makes that verse read very differently, depending on where you put the comma. Then you may be thinking, what about the, the, the rich man and Lazarus? There's a story that Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus and, and, and Lazarus um, going to heaven and the rich man ending up in hell. Um, what about that? Well, that's simply a parable that teaches an all-important lesson. When you look at all the various elements of it, it's simply a parable that teaches important lessons. And you can get to the end of the parable and you'll find out what the punchline is and what the important thing is. And there are many, many other uh, stories um, and parables that can also fit in that basket. So, so there, are, there are other scriptures that, that have been misunderstood. But what we want to deal with now is what did God say about communicating with the supposed dead? Notice what the Bible teaches. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 to 12, we read these words. This is God speaking to the children of Israel, and he says, There shall not be among you anyone who calls up the what? Calls up the dead. These things are an abomination to the Lord. Wow. God was pretty serious, wasn't he? He was so, so serious that notice what he said would be the consequence of someone involved in what we today we would refer to as being a medium, a spirit medium. These words are from Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 27. A man or a woman who is a medium or who has a familiar spirit or who has familiar spirits shall surely be what? 
put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. Wow, that's very serious. Very serious. That's not Danny speaking. That's what God said. He said that someone who is involved in this, in this work of supposedly mediating between the dead and the living, that they were to be put to death. They were to be stoned. Do we do that today? No, we don't. Okay, it's against the law, so don't try and do it today. But why did God say that? The reason is those individuals are not communicating with their dead loved ones. They are literally communicating with the devil and his angels. Is that serious business? Yes. If you're communicating with the devil and his angels. If we have any doubts, just go back to the first communication with the serpent there in the Garden of Eden. You don't need to go any further and you'll discover the truth. Now, you may be thinking, can the devil impersonate and his angels, can they impersonate our loved ones? Is that even possible? Notice what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, the Apostle Paul writes, For Satan himself transforms himself into what? An angel of light. God has given the devil and his angels power that they are able to transform themselves into not only angels of light, but they are also able to transform themselves into your dead loved one. And you supposedly, you think you are talking to your, to your auntie who has passed away, your mother, your grandmother, your grandfather, your whoever. You think you are literally talking to them. You, you, you believe that the spirit medium is communicating messages from your loved one who is in heaven with you. But as we've discovered, the Bible says when you die, what happens? You're dead. You're asleep. You don't know anything. The dead know nothing. Are they in heaven? No, the Bible doesn't teach that. They are dead. So it's serious business. Let me give you just one story. There was a lady in New Zealand, and this is shared um, with me by a fellow pastor, Pastor David Bertelson. He shares this story of what took place in New Zealand. Um, there was a lady coming along to some meetings, and she was hearing messages like this, and, uh, and she made a decision to be baptized. On the day of her baptism, she is walking up the steps into the church there in Auckland, and all of a sudden, she is met by her grandmother her grandmother that had passed away for many years and it's her grandmother she can see her she can she's right there in front of her and her grandmother says to her my sweet dear i have been sent to you by god to tell you that you are making a big mistake god doesn't want you to be baptized he doesn't want you to be part of this church god doesn't want you to do what you are planning on doing today don't do it. It's not too late. Return. Don't go. She remembered what she had heard, that the dead know how much? Nothing. She realized immediately, based on God's word, that this was not her grandmother that God had sent from heaven to give her a warning, but this was none other than one of the evil angels who were impersonating as an angel of light, as the Bible says. And immediately she said these words, Get behind me, Satan. And just like that, just like that, grandmother was gone. Because it wasn't grandmother. It was never grandmother. It was an evil angel. This is, this is what takes place on a daily basis. People 
claim that they are literally speaking to their loved ones, that people go to mediums all the time. You know that. They go there. Don't have anything at all to do with that. Nothing at all. That's why the Bible teaches as it does. Spiritualism is founded on two key principles. Conscious life exists after death. That is the immortality of the soul. And the dead can communicate with the living. These are the two fundamental principles of spiritualism. And today, guess what? Spiritualism is rampant throughout not only the world religions, but in Hollywood, the movies. It's just everywhere. The books, you name it, it's there. We're going to get to, we're going to, get to that as we go along. Revelation contains God's truth for the last days and exposes Satan's deceptions. And I thank God that, that Pastor Neil will be sharing with you from the book of Revelation extremely important messages that you and I need to be aware of. There is three angels flying in the midst of heaven. The Bible says three angels, three all-important messages. The first angel's message shares God's truth. The second angel's message exposes Satan's lies. And the third angel's message says, well, it's your choice. You can decide whether it's God's truth or Satan's lies. In the second angel's message, we have a message that is broadcast for the whole world. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Now, what is Babylon? We don't have time to get into that right now. But Babylon simply means confusion. Confusion. It comes from the Tower of Babel, ultimately. And Babylon also means not only confusion, but it means um, going directly against God and His Word. It means rebellion. What does Babylon mean? Rebellion and confusion, just to name two major um, elements of Babylon. And notice what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 18, verse 2. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a what? A dwelling place of what? Demons. A prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Babylon, this, this end time vehicle that the enemy will use, especially at the end of time, to, to deceive the entire world. To deceive how much? The entire world, including the Christian world. The Bible says this end time system of Babylon is filled and has become a dwelling place of demons. Do not, do not be under any illusion. As much as God is at work in these last days to save human beings from deception, the enemy is also at work with as much passion, with as much zeal to destroy as many as he possibly can. Deceive and destroy. Notice the Bible goes on. Speaking of Babylon, Revelation 18, 23, the whole chapter is talking about Babylon. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you that is in Babylon anymore. For by your what? Sorcery, all the nations were deceived. How many of the nations were deceived? All the nations were deceived. Now that word there, sorcery, I looked it up in the original. And you know what the word is? The original word is pharmakia. Pharmakia. Have you ever been to a pharmacy? That's where we get our English word pharmacy from, pharmakia. Now, what does it mean? It means medication, magic, sorcery, witchcraft. Are we finding that today we are living at a time when there is an explosion of magic, sorcery, and witchcraft? Are there more and more movies and books 
saturated. I'm talking about kids' books. Have you heard of Harry Potter? Who hasn't heard of Harry Potter? All the video games, all the movies. Star Wars. Absolutely laced with spiritualism. Matrix, Harry Potter, Walt Disney's productions. I'm telling you, it all started off very innocent once upon a time with shows like I Dream Of, Genie, and Bewitched. Remember those programs? Very, very innocent, very gentle. Today, it's not gentle and innocent. Today, today, the enemy is bringing in his big dump truck and he's just dumping it like by the, by the megaton. The enemy is setting up the entire world. The entire, what did I say? The entire world. What did we just read? For by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. Can you see how important this subject is? If you don't know the truth, guess what? You are a candidate for being deceived. That's the bottom line. You are a candidate for being deceived. When does Jesus give his reward? What is the blessed hope? Notice what the Bible says. Jesus said in Revelation 22 verse 12, And behold, I am coming what? quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. When does Jesus give his reward? At the second coming. So when you die, do you receive your reward then and there by going to heaven? No, no. You receive your reward when Jesus comes, when Jesus comes. When, when Jesus comes, it will be just like what happened at the very beginning of time when God created Adam. The Bible says when that, when that trumpet sounds and the voice of the archangel is heard, the breath of God that gives life will, will, will be placed within that dirt that you and I have become at death and you and I will become living persons again. It will all happen again as it did 6,000 years ago. We know this to be true that we get our reward when Jesus comes because the Apostle Paul, he wrote these words before he died. These are the final words of the Apostle Paul before he died. He wrote them to young Timothy in the book uh, that we today know as 2 Timothy chapter 4. And verses 6 to 8, notice these words. He writes at the end of his life these words to young Timothy, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. He's speaking of his death, his imminent death. He writes, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally there is laid up for me the crown of what? Righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, speaking of the second coming, and not... To me only, but also to how many? All who have loved is appearing. The Apostle Paul was clear that when Jesus comes with his reward, he also will receive the reward of eternal life. The Apostle Paul is not in heaven right now. He's not in heaven right now. He's waiting. He is waiting to receive his reward that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to him on that day, speaking of the second coming. My friends, that's what the Bible talks about. Oh, sorry, that's what the Bible teaches on this all-important subject of death. It's a beautiful message. Is it confronting? Absolutely. Does it, does it shake us from our previous preconceived or, or 
ideas that we have learned? Absolutely. But is it God's truth? Absolutely. And that's what really matters at the end of the day. I want to know God's truth. What about you? I want to know God's truth. I want to be ready when Jesus comes. And it, Paul says, and all who have loved is appearing. Are you looking forward to the appearing of Jesus? Well, we don't want to pray. We want to pray. We're going to ask the Lord to bless us now as we, as we conclude. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the clarity that you give us from your word. This subject that is, that is so misunderstood, so many different views and opinions and ideas on what happens to a person when they die. And many people just don't care. They simply don't care. But today we have discovered not only the truth about what does happen, but we've also discovered the truth that it does matter what your word teaches on this subject. So Father, I pray that you'll guide and bless us. And we're looking forward to the day, along with the Apostle Paul, that all those that have loved your appearing, Father, they will appear with you in glory when you come to give your reward. We long for that day. We look forward to that day. Until that day, keep us close to Jesus, we pray in his name. And everybody said, Amen, amen and Amen and Amen.